Father, as we look at your word this morning, uh, let it impact us the way you want us want it to, no more and no less. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're finishing the four-week study out of Ecclesiastes. As you know, in three weeks previous, we've not kept to Ecclesiastes specifically, but we start there each week. We've looked at three important aspects of life. We've looked at the area or the arena of work, and we've looked at pleasure, what Ecclesiastes and the scriptures have to say about those. We looked last time at this sense of paradox or frustration or the life ain't fair aspect of life last week. This morning we're closing this series looking at time. Uh, Time. Time in two senses. Uh, When we look at Ecclesiastes or the scriptures, two prominent themes come out. One is time in the sense of a time or times to do things. That is, that the time we're given, there's a right time or a wrong time to do one thing or another. So Ecclesiastes talks about that, time related to what we do, when we do it. Then there's also another issue related to time, and that is the brevity of time or the rapidity with which our time on earth, human time, human life, comes and goes. And we'll look at both of those this morning. We'll start with the right time. Most of us here are probably old enough. Many of us are here old, uh, are old enough to have remembered the song by the birds. Turn, turn, turn. You know, I don't know if they paid royalties to Solomon, but they should have, right? Because they lifted their lyrics straight out of Ecclesiastes 3. I'm going to read Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 11. And the point of this passage is clear. There's a right time for certain things to be done or accommodated. That infers also, of course, that there's a Wrong time for certain things. And part of the wisdom Solomon tells us about, Solomon, this guy who's collected the sayings, coaleth, and he's dispensing them for our benefit, he tells us that one of the things, one of the ways we live wisely in this life we've got under the sun is by recognizing that there's a right time to do things. And there's a wrong time. And he talks about both in this passage, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 11. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to tear down, and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. If you're a pack rat, that's a hard one, but there is a time to throw away. A time to tear apart, and a time to sew together. A time to be silent. That's a hard one for many of us. And a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. A time for war, and a time for peace. What profit is there to the worker from that which he toils? 
I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which has done from the beginning, which God has done from the beginning even to the end. Solomon says there's a right time to do all the important things in life. There's a right time and there's a wrong time. And recognizing the difference, he says, is one of those wisdom areas that we have to learn and come to grips with. And all of us sense this at times in our life. We're frustrated that it's the time to study instead of the time to play, for instance. If you, if you look at your life, if you're a student and you're going to school, then in your life, this is the time to be studying. Your work is to study. Yeah, it is, isn't it, Bethany? Bethany was up late last night. Uh, or if you're a mom with little ones at home, the, the time in your life that you're in is the time to wipe noses and change diapers and accommodate naps, you know, and all those things that tie to having children in their small years. Uh, if you're a breadwinner and you're an eight to five job, that's your stage of life, that's your work. It's the right time for you to get up whatever it is, Dan, if it's not Monday through Friday, you know, if it's Saturday through Thursday or whatever, but that's the time for you to be doing that. So this thing about the right time for the right thing actually itself has two areas. One is time of life, what we're talking about here. Are you a student? Are you a mom? Are you a dad? Are you working outside the home? Are you working in the home? The stage of life that you're in has a lot to say about what you're doing and what you're not doing, what you're responsible for and what you're not responsible for. That in itself is a biggie. I have responsibilities as a husband and dad that I didn't have 25 years ago. And my responsibilities with my girls are different today than they were 10 years ago. So stages of life effect have a lot to do with what the right time for us is to do what, what are the right things. Another thing, though, within that, whatever stage of life we're in, the other thing is, on any given day, am I doing the right things at the right time? So this is as basic as, am I getting up on time? You know, there's a time to get up. There's some days that we can sleep in, and there's most days we can't. And on a daily schedule, one of the right things at the right time is I get up when I need to get up. Or I start my day meeting with the Lord, having my quiet time, first thing. That's the right thing at the right time. Or through the day, each day, do we do our work first before we do our play? You know, do we do the dishes before we turn on the TV? I mean, these are, these are simple things, guys, but this is where we live every day. You know, are we doing? And, you know, if we're not, it starts showing up. I've mentioned these Proverbs before, you know, but when it says you look at this overgrown field, and it says, how did that happen? You know, well, it was, a, it was a little neglect today and a little neglect tomorrow, and that's how it gets that way. Just because each day I'm not taking care of those days' duties. I'm not doing the right thing at the right time. And one of the keys to living successfully, Solomon says here in Ecclesiastes, this wisdom literature, is recognizing that there's a right time for all the things that need to be done. And part of that right time is the stage of your life. What are we responsible for? And part of it is whatever stage of life we're in, each day are we setting aside the time 
that's needed for those responsibilities we face that day. Are we doing the right thing at the right time? Solomon says this is a big deal. Paul says this in Ephesians 5, Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Now, Paul's writing this 2,000 years ago almost, and he's looking around, he says, the days are evil, and so because of that, I recognize that what I do, the times I have, they're affected by the times I live in. And so I'm being careful about how I use my time because the days are evil. That's another thing we take into account. It's the time I'm born into. It's the world events or the situation that I inhabit in history and geographically. We take this into account too. That helps define what the right time and what the right things for us to take care of or be responsible for. It's the stage of life we're in. It's the day-to-days and it's also the bigger scope of things. The point in history I'm born and the place I'm living out my life. We want to do all three of those things. So there's a right time tied to where we live, when we live, and each day. Solomon also says, though, that in the big picture, our time on the earth is this little speck of a thing. Listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes 6. Who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile or empty life? He will spend them like a shadow. Verse 12. You remember Ecclesiastes, one of the key terms is vanity. And it's this thought, it's breath, habel. It's this thing that's hard to get a hold of. Or it's this thing that doesn't last very long. You know, if you go out on a winter day, you can blow out some breath. And you'll see it. You can't grab it. You can see it. And it's there for a moment and then it's gone. And that's the thought here. Just like a shadow, how much substance does a shadow have? None. You know, it's just the absence of light behind the thing, but there's no substance to it. And that's the thought here. It's vaporous. It's without substance in the larger scope of things. In chapter 7, verse 2, he says, It's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, because that, mourning, death, that is the end of every man or woman or boy, or girl, or child, or whatever. He says, it's good because I gain this perspective when I go to a funeral, because I remember this is where I'm heading. This is where I'm going. When I worked uh, for the city as a firefighter, you'd, uh, this was just not infrequently. Um, you'd see this person, and they're dead. And inevitably, I would ask myself, did you know this was your last day on the earth? And many, many times it was not. You know, accident, uh, people killed in accidents, uh, people killed in house fires, uh, shootings, I mean, you name it. And this person to them, this was one more day of their life, but it was their last day, and they just didn't know it. And Solomon says, you know, when I go to a funeral, as it were, I recall, I remember, life is short. It's brief. And this, this funeral, one day it's going to be my funeral. I won't be going to it. I'll be the, the honoree, so to speak. So he says it's good to remember. And, you know, if you look at the obituaries, this is the same thing, whether we, we go to a funeral or just look in the paper at the obituaries. 
One day yours will be in there. One day mine will be in there. What will it say? That's where we're heading, Solomon says. And that perspective gives purpose to my life because I remember there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. And the points, these endpoints, there's very little in between. It's vaporous. It's like a breath. It's like a shadow. It is short. And so this perspective, Solomon says, gives us wisdom with how we spend the time we have on earth, recognizing, knowing that it is so brief. Listen to Job talking about the same thing. Job says, my life, in chapter 7, my life is but a breath. He says, my days are but a breath. Psalm 39 says, surely every man is a mere breath. Psalm 62, one of my favorites, men of low degree are only vanity, a breath. Men of rank are a lie. Men of rank look like they have substance, see, their wealth or their political power or whatever, but he says that's a lie. It's the appearance of stability, but it's not. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than breath. This psalm says, take the men who look like they're really powerful and men of substance, and then put the men who look like they're not anything, put them on the balance, the scale of life, and put air over here, and air is heavier than they are. Even the appearance of stability or substance is a lie. It's not true. Psalm 144, man is like a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Isn't this encouraging? It just makes me want to get up and shout. (laughs) My life is over. James says in the New Testament, James 4, he says... You don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. This is talking about boasting about what we're going to accomplish. And James, by the way, James is the New Testament version of wisdom literature, of Old Testament wisdom literature. He says, you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. James says the same thing. James, a Christian, the brother of the Lord, the half-brother of the Lord, says the same thing, that our life If we look at the big scale of things, and just just put yourself here for a minute. Let's just, however long history we've got, say six to 10,000 years, whatever number we want to pick out of recorded history. How long is 60 years, 70 years, 80 years? How long is 100 years? Insignificant, blink of an eye. Or think about the universe. You know, when we look at the stars, and we've had about two weeks uh, where we've had really clear nights and mornings, and you can go out if you're up, but even at six, and the, uh, Orion is up, the Pleiades, Taurus are all up straight overhead in the south. It's gorgeous. You know the light that comes from those stars? You know how fast light is going, 186,000 miles plus per second, right? And you know for that light to, I, I'm not getting into the age of the earth or anything here, but that light to get from those stars, light years, right? What's the span of our life compared to the larger universe around us? It's as if we don't even exist. It's so inconsequential. Our short, short life on the earth, whether we're talking about recorded human history or whether we're talking the greater expanse of the the world and the universe, we're nothing. We're not even the blink of an eye in the large scale of things. Solomon says one of the ways we gain wisdom is by recognizing 
how brief indeed our life on the earth is. Now, you guys know that uh, if there's something that's desirable, it could be land, it could be uh, precious metals, I mean, these are easy commodities, farmer, the, the produce from farms, things that we consider valuable, you know how their value is established? By, by how much demand there is for it, right? Yeah, by how much demand there is for it. If something's desirable, its value is fixed by demand. And demand is in large part determined or is affected by how much supply is there. How much supply is there. If you bring this supply and demand thing into your life and mine, do you know what the most valuable commodity we have is? It's, it's one thing. It's time. It's time. How much time can you buy? Zero. You can't replace time. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You can't buy anymore. And it doesn't matter how powerful you are. You can't pull any time back. Time, because it is irreplaceable, is the most valuable commodity you and I have. Bar none. Time is the most valuable commodity we have. In the end, it is all we have to spend in our life on the earth. Time. Whatever we're doing, we're spending the coin of time to do it. When you think about this, um, this really helps you determine what's worth my time. I'm spending, my dad used to have this saying, I can't remember, but anyway, he said, whatever you're doing, you're spending a day of your life for it. That starts making me think a little differently about what I'm buying with my time. When I realize how brief time is and how irreplaceable it is, and then I realize that whatever I'm doing, that's what I'm buying with my irreplaceable time, boy, that gives a new sense of meaning or purpose or value to what I'm doing. I'm spending my life for it. I'm spending the only thing I've got today, my time today, that's what I'm spending. What, what am I buying with that time? It's irreplaceable. Can't get any more of it. Whatever I spent today, it's spent and it's gone forever. What did I buy? What did I buy? What did I do with today? I don't know, James says, I don't know that I have tomorrow. Certainly don't know that I have next year. Don't know that I have tomorrow. What did I buy with my time today? Solomon says for us to live wisely and successfully, we have to come to grips with this fact that our life, our time on earth is a vapor. It's this blink and it's gone. And so because this is the way it is, this gives value to the time we do have. This should shape our view of our life. It's brief. It's very short. Even if it's long, it's short. Even if it looks like we're really, really old, we're really, really not. We might be old compared to the person sitting next to us or whatever, the children being born, but on the larger scale of things, we're just kids that have been around a little longer than the other kids. We're just getting started. Our time is irreplaceable. Listen to what Carl Sandburg said. 
Time is the coin of your life. It is the only coin you have. And only you can determine how it will be spent. Be careful lest you let other people spend it for you. I thought that was good. Time is fleeting. Solomon says, spend it wisely. Spend it wisely. Solomon also touches on this thing or theme of time in relation to death or eternity. Eternity. And I say this heading towards this thought. Uh, Time is here, it's short and it's brief, and then we face God. Then we enter eternity. Get this very short, brief, brief period of time, and then judgment and eternity. Listen to what Ecclesiastes 11 says. He says, hey, young man, rejoice during your childhood. Let your heart be pleasant during the the days of young manhood. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Hey, eat, drink, and be merry. Do whatever you want, young guy. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Solomon says, you're young, you've got all these desires. Hey, great, do whatever you want. But in the end, remember this. God will bring all these acts to judgment. He'll bring all these acts to judgment. In the New Testament, one of the prime motivations for Christians is supposed to be to live with the thought of judgment in mind. And I don't mean judgment for our sins. I mean judgment for our work. We're saved because Jesus Christ died for our sins. We're saved by God's grace through faith. That's not the issue. Let me read from Paul two passages, very brief, First and 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul's actually writing about the church. And he's talking about uh, various people come in and they build the church. Not the building, but they, their contribution to the church, to what God's doing in the world. Talking about that, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, each man's work will become evident. Sometimes we look at someone and we say their life is really significant. Look how important they are. Look at all the things they they do. Well, Paul says, well, that's not always the way it really is. And there's going to come this day when the value of their work and your work and my work is tested for what it really was. Not for what it appeared, for what it really was. So he says, each man's work will become evident. That means it's not now. Appearances can be deceiving. The man who looks like he's wealthy may have no real wealth. The man who looks or the woman who looks like in the church, they're this thriving person. That may not be the the real case. So he says, each man's work will become evident. The day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. Uh, Fire is a common theme in both Testaments for God's judgment. And Paul says what we do on earth when we stand before Christ, and I'll read this in 2 Corinthians 5 in just a moment, the way he judges it is as if. He takes the works of our life, whatever they look like, and he takes his match, and he sets the match to that work. And whatever is made of the common, human, deficient motivations of this life, Paul says those are like wood, hay, and stubble. When Gale burns his fields, you know what happens to wood, hay, and stubble? You put the the match to it, it's just consumed in a moment. I mean, it doesn't even burn very long. And there's a little bit of ash left. That's all that's left. 
It had no real substance, and the fire proved it. But if you have this structure, if you have a steel structure and you put a match to it, nothing happens. If you build Category 4 construction, it's non-combustible. You know what? It doesn't burn. And that's what Paul's uh, talking about here. We can live our life in such a way that we're producing, in God's eyes, wood, hay, and stubble. This is either doing the wrong things. Yeah, everybody, we all, yeah, that's me. Doing the right things at the wrong time, maybe. Saying the right thing at the wrong time, well, yeah. Um, Wrong thing, wrong time, wrong motive. God waves motives. Scripture says elsewhere, he weighs the motives of our heart. I might say the right thing at the right time, and God will say, and it'll burn up like everything else because God knows my heart was entirely wrong in doing it. So Paul says we're going to have this short life, live wisely, it's short, be careful what you're buying, but then also realize that what you've bought is going to be revealed by fire at the end of your life's day because God's going to put the match to it. There's a little phrase, uh, one life to live will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. That's a, it's a simple little ditty, but that's the thought. That's exactly the thought. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The truth is God... God not only has sovereignly decreed ends, He has sovereignly decreed means. He wants you and I to be participating in what He's doing in the earth, in our geography, in our time here on the earth. And He wants to reward us for that participation at the end of our life. The Bema seat of Christ, this judgment seat of Christ here, is for Christians so that Jesus can get rid of the chaff and reward the real contributions. It's not as if He is not a miser, and we've talked about his goodness related to work and pleasure. This is not a a vengeful father uh, whipping a son who's erred. This is a benevolent father getting rid of the stuff that can't enter eternity. And then he's rewarding the things that we've done, participated with him, that he can reward. That is the thought. 1 Peter 1.17 says, If you address as father the one who impartially judges... We're headed to a judgment, Paul's talked about. According to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on the earth. It's not that we fear our dad, we fear his wrath in a sense for our sins. It's the, th- it's the appropriate thought that Solomon talked about. I know my life's going to be over. I know I'm heading to judgment. And so I take appropriate fear with that in mind to constrain my behavior, to do the right thing at the right time for the right reason. That's what Peter's talking about. Christians, in the end, should be those who can live this brief life best and most fully because we know our dad has given us all good things to enjoy, we talked about before. Even though we live life, paradoxically, on the earth in which things don't always turn out fair, but God yet has given us all these good things to enjoy. He's given us profitable work to engage in so we can live life fully here, but then also we can live it appropriately and wisely, fearfully, according to Peter, because we know that Dad's going to try our works at the end of our life. And so with those things in mind, Christians should live the most joyfully, the most freely, and the most wisely, with all those things 
in mind. Sometimes you and I feel that God has ripped us off in the time he's placed us in or in the place he's placed us in in this time. Do you know what I mean? Lord, why couldn't I have been born a mountain man 150 years ago? That, that used to be when I thought, ah, I live in the mountains, no troubles, you know. Do a little hunting, a little fishing. That sounded pretty good to me. Why did I have to be born now? Or why do I have to be born here with the troubles or the, the confrontations or the difficulties I face in my life? All of us at some point go through this. Lord, why me? Or why me here? Or why me now? Or whatever. The times that we're born into or the place that we're born into. Richard John Newhouse said this, the times may be bad, but they're the only times we're given. If you think the times are bad, get over it. This is the time you're given. Uh, Tolkien, in probably my most quoted works, Stan knows, uh, from the trilogy, little Frodo Baggins has been entrusted. He's been thrust in the affairs of great men and elves and everything, really the future of, of the earth, right, with this little ring. And he's lamenting his times. He's lamenting the responsibility that's come to him in the time of life he's given. He says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf says, so do all those who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. That's the end. It's not, Lord, why am I born now? Why am I born here? Why do I face these responsibilities or these issues? All of which at any time, I'm sure many of us would love to chuck. But no, what do we do with the time that we're given? What do we do with the time and the place we're given? I inspected a house last week, this big, gorgeous house, on this incredible acreage. Just lovely, lovely. It's out of a magazine. Lovely. And this is this Christian couple that's selling it. And you know what? I'm immediately, do you know what I am? I'm immediately envious, okay? They're Christians. Does God love them more than me? Why do they get this big place, (laughs) big fancy place? And I'm looking at this house, and I'm kind of thinking, boy, Lord, you know, pretty nice, you know, and this isn't where I live, and why do they have it so good, and I talked to, anyway, I came home and tell Kathy about it, and she's like, get over it, you know. <clears throat> I talked to the wife after, I, she wasn't there when I did the inspection. I talked to the wife afterwards, and I thought this was interesting. They live in this big pricey home. They're selling it to get another big pricey home, right? And they're Christian. Are they better than me? Are they better looking than me? Are they what? You know, why? And in talking with her on the phone, she was talking about the people that were purchasing their home. Do you know what she said? She said, they've got a landscaper coming in. They can afford to have somebody else take care of the yard. I can't wait to see it. I can't believe it. She was lamenting that their buyers, and her attitude was not bad at all. She wasn't envious the way I was, I think. It was that, wow, they've got more money than we do. And they can afford the landscape. (laughs) They're going to they're, they're redoing the, the whole place. You know, here, I, Mike's looking up to them, and they're looking up to somebody else, and it's like, you know, get over it. I'm thinking, Lord, why, why aren't I living over there? Why isn't that my set of events or life circumstances? And Lord's, no, no, that isn't. Get over it, Mike, you know. 
It's not for me to decide what time I'm born in. And frankly, in most things, it's not for me to decide what, what uh, set of responsibilities I face or the difficulties that come my way or whatever. My responsibility is what am I doing with the time I'm given? And what am I doing? Am I being faithful in the set of circumstances God has placed me in? That's the deal. That's the deal. Not when am I born or what circumstances I am facing. In the end, what am I doing with the time that I am given? There's a great poem by Edward Sill. And in it, he describes this young prince with this bright blue blade fighting in the battle. And along the edge of the battle, there's what Sill calls a craven. And he says, oh, if I only had the king's sword, the prince's sword, that bright blue blade, then I'd get out in the battle and I'd do something great. But he says, I've just got this old dull thing. And he throws it down and he leaves the battle. And then it describes the prince has been surrounded by the enemy host and his own blue blade is broken. You know what he does? He takes up that dull sword that the other guy threw down. He takes it up and in Sill's poem, he wins a great cause that day. The opportunities for both guys were the same in essence. It wasn't the sword. It was what did they do with the opportunity that faced them, with the responsibility that faced them. Most of the time we're making excuses for ourselves why we don't do more, why we don't do better, etc. That's not the issue. What are we doing with the time we're given? Uh, the poem I'm going to close with this morning is uh, Psalm 90. I'd actually thought about this. I was going to do the birds. I was going to play it, but I decided not to. As I thought about it, <clears throat> when I read Psalm 90, close your eyes if you want, but uh, two things. One, Moses is writing this probably towards the tail end of his long life, 120 years old. But he's been through probably most of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. So as you hear some of these lines, remember the, the setting in which he's thinking and writing. So he's writing. He's seen, a lot, he's seen a generation come and go because they wouldn't enter the promised land when God offered it to them. He's seen God's judgment in that sense. But he's also... He touches on other things. And think about what Psalm 90 wraps together for us. Think about time and life and its brevity and judgment because God does judge, but also God's goodness in all of this. And just listen to the way Moses brings all these together in Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight, they're like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood, and they fall asleep. In the morning, they're like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening, it fades and withers away. We have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath. We have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. 
All our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their boast is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Lord, Moses had it right that our days, they wind down like a sigh. And Lord, like the grass that springs up, it quickly withers and die, and we fly away. Father Moses talked about hearts of wisdom and you giving joy and gladness and, and confirming the work of our hands. And Lord, for us to live wisely, prudently, for us to spend the time that you've given us, this brief time on the earth well, <clears throat> Lord, we need to do it with your perspective in relationship with you. Lord, knowing and loving you, serving you is the best way we can spend our time on earth. It's the best preparation we can have for the eternal day that will dawn probably not too far down the road. Father, thanks that though our lives are brief, we can spend them well and wisely. And Lord, we can spend them joyfully and confidently when we spend them for you. Lord, help of us, each of us to live today and then get up and live tomorrow wisely. Lord, help us to set our face to follow you, to make it our goal in life to get to know you intimately, to hear your words, to follow you, and then, Lord, to serve you in the ways you give us to. Help us to spend each day wisely. Help us to live wisely in the age, the time, and the place you've set us. And Lord, with eternity before us, help us to remember how to spend our days on earth. Lord, thanks that besides the responsibility we have, Lord, the truth is in the end, uh, you are so gracious and so good that though we blow it time after time, all we need to do is come to you, tell it like it is, repent, confess our sins, and we start over. Thanks that you're quick to forgive and that you're quick to hear the cry, Lord, of the lowest, of the worst, whatever. Thanks that though our days on earth be short, Lord, they can be lived in a way that glorifies you and, Lord, in the end does benefit us. Help us to live it so that when we see you face to face, Lord, we don't draw back, but we're ready to embrace you. 
Lord, thanks that you have made eternity with you possible because you gave us your own son. We entrust ourselves, we entrust our time to you in his name. Amen.